God, we love you, and we are so thankful to be in this place this morning, so thankful to be able to, to start this series as we are jumping into our all-church series about talking about the gospel, the gospel above all. What does it look like to put the gospel first in our lives, to make the gospel of first importance for us? God, I just, uh, I just ask, as I do every week, that you would speak through me, that you would just let the words that are coming out of my mouth be your words. No one came here to hear from Pastor Chris this morning. We all come to meet and to hear from you. So God, I just pray that you would speak. Pray that you would move through your word. God, this morning, I just, we give you praise. We give you thanks. You are good, and we, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are, again, starting, uh, starting this series, Gospel Above All. Uh, gospel Above All is... Uh, uh, just what it sounds like. It's, it's about putting the gospel of Jesus Christ first and foremost in our lives. This is kind of the, the rhythm of our church, as I've said. We, we are going to jump into this all-church study. Our small groups are going to be uh, covering uh, similar things as we move forward in, their, in small group time. Uh, it's just going to be a it's going to be a great opportunity just to to hang out together to dive into the gospel. Uh, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is what saves us. It is what sends us. It is so important for us to put the gospel of Jesus Christ first and foremost in our lives. We're going to be talking about the gospel for the next eight weeks and how the gospel changes us and pushes us and shapes us and, and affects a different part of our lives. Uh, it should be of first importance in our lives. That's really what we're going to talk about this morning. We're going to kind of just kind of lay the foundation for the rest of the series, the rest of the small groups, and really just talk about what is the gospel. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ and why should it be first importance in our lives? If you want to turn with me, we're going to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 first. We're going to be all over the place today. I hope you got your uh, page turning fingers ready. Uh, we're going to be all over the place. But uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and he just wants to remind them of, of what should be first importance in their lives. Uh, chapter 15, starting at verse 1 in 1 Corinthians. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I have preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom who are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. Now, that's kind of a weird statement, right? Uh, what is he talking about? He's talking about the, the word here is really talking about kind of the suddenness of his conversion. He didn't get to just kind of, uh, Jesus didn't pull him off the street and teach him for a while and have him follow him for a little bit. It was a very sudden thing. It was a, he's walking down the road and he sees a light. He meets Jesus. He has scales on his eyes, just like a very sudden, powerful experience for him. That's what he's talking about here when he does this. So there's another version that says untimely born, same thing. Uh, that's, that's kind of what he's talking about here. He says, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. 
But by the grace of God, I am what I am. I love that line. We're going to keep coming back to that line over the next eight weeks. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And, with, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believed. This is the gospel. This, and he keeps going here talking about resurrection. We'll get there later as well. But I just want you to just hear his words, this church in Corinth. He's not kind of mincing any words. This is the gospel that saves you. I'm passing on to you what I saw as first importance. First of all, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. Then he was dead and he was buried and he was raised to life, according to the scriptures. This is the gospel. This is what should be first importance in our lives. And I just want to unpack this a little bit because this is going to lay the foundation for us over the next eight weeks of, of this whole series, this gospel above all. If we're going to put the gospel above everything in our lives, we have to have a firm grasp of what the gospel actually is. And so this, this might sound like a little bit of a review week for you, but I want us to all be on the same page as to what the gospel is. And here, here's, kind of a, here's, here's kind of an answer for you. What is the gospel? And we'll unpack this answer for you, but this is the gospel, that the holy, just creator of all things saw us in our sin and sent his son to take our place so that we might live with him forever. This is the gospel. The holy, just creator of all things saw us humans in our sin, but he didn't want to leave us there, so he sent his son to earth to take our place so that we might once again be in right relationship with God and be saved. This is the gospel. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's unpack this a little bit. Now, again, I'm, I'm going to be flying through this. We're just laying a, a brief foundation of what the gospel is. Let's just unpack this first part, this, this, this part about who God is, that this God is the holy, just creator of all things. You go back to Genesis with me, and Genesis is where this all begins. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created. This is the first five words of scripture. This is uh, the very first thing that we learn about God. In the beginning, God created. God created the heavens and the earth. He looked at all of his creation and he said, it is good. God is, God is the creator of all things. He made everything. You look outside, you look at the trees, you look at the clouds, you look at the stars at night, you see, you go up to the mountains and you see the beauty in the mountains. You go to the ocean, you see the beauty in the ocean. All of this is from God's hands. The scripture tells us that out of his breath, the stars were made. This is the God who we're talking about here. This, this God, this is the star-breathing kind of God. He is a holy God. Isaiah 43 says, I am the Lord. I'm the Holy One. That's Isaiah 43, 15. Now, what does it mean for God to be holy? That means he is perfectly set apart. He is absolutely and completely unique. He is absolutely pure. This is what it means for God to be holy. He is, he is set apart. He is separate from us. He is absolutely pure. He is unlike us. He is incomparable. He is unique. Now, here's the, the crazy thing. If you go back into Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, you hear that we are created in his image. We're created in the image of this holy God, this, this, 
this set apart, separate, pure, unlike us, incomparable, unique thing, unique God. We are created in his image. But he is holy. There is no wrong in God. There is no sin in God. He is absolutely holy, absolutely other. This is what we mean when we talk about God as holy. Now, what does it mean for God to be just? We're talking about this holy, just creator of all things. What does it mean for God to be just? Proverbs 17, 15 lays this out. It says, acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent, God detests both. Again, Proverbs 17, 15, acquitting the guilty and condemning the innocent, God detests both. We have a very just God. God is about justice. Now, this raises an interesting question, right? Because we have sin in our lives. God forgives our sin. How can God forgive our sin? How can God look at a guilty sinner and say, you are innocent? Now, there's, there's a quote that I read in a book. It says, God's forgiveness is a threat to his character. If God overlooks sin, his justice and holiness are compromised. Forgiveness for God is the profoundest of problems. I love that. Forgiveness for God is of the, it's the profoundest of problems. Because God is a just God. How can God look at sinners and declare, you are innocent? We'll get into that in a little bit. We'll revisit this later. But Scripture leaves no doubt that God is just. He is holy. He is just. I don't want to leave this out this morning. He is gracious as well. God is gracious. Yeah, Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Now, if you don't have that one, just memorize or underline it. You go to Titus right now. Titus 2.11. Here's what it says. I'll say it again. The grace of God has appeared that makes salvation available to all people. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. This, this, the grace of God is really what separates Christianity from pretty much every other religion. Because every other religion, the way, that you earn, the way that you get forgiveness, I gave it away there, is by earning it. You have to do certain things. You have to, to work for certain things. You have to, you, to you, you basically just work for it. But God, God shows the guilty this, this free and unlimited favor. He gives the guilty that which they never deserve. He gives them grace. He gives them a way out. I mean, other religions that you have to earn for it. God, but God's, God is, he gives us free grace. It's free. I mean, this, this free grace is available day in, day out, every hour of every single day. This is, this is grace. This is God's grace. And this God, and again, this is just a disclaimer. I, there's no way in the last five minutes that I have described God, but we're just kind of, we're kind of just coding the foundation here for this series. This same God, this holy, just, gracious creator of all things, looks and he sees humanity in our sin. Now that's... I'm sorry. <laughs> my watch uh, just thinks I was talking to it. I don't know. So... Uh, <laughs> this, this God, uh, this God, holy, just, creator of all things, looks down and sees us in our sin. Now, here's the, the truth here this morning that we need to understand and we need to just, just go with as we go into this series. The truth about sin is this, that we are all created by God. Again, Genesis 1.27, we're created in the image of God. 
But we are all at the same time corrupted by sin. That's just, that's pretty clearly laid out in Scripture that we are all created in His image. Genesis 1.27 makes that pretty clear. It says, So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. We are created in the image of God, but we are corrupted by sin. And it doesn't take long in the story. It's on page 3 in my Bible where sin comes into this picture. Where sin corrupts humanity. Genesis chapter 3. And it doesn't take much longer for God in Genesis chapter 6 to say that he regrets making humans. we We are corrupted by sin. We are created in the image of God, but we are corrupted by sin. Now, this is kind of the, this dichotomy that we, that we live with. I mean, we have uh, just, we see things that we know are after the image of God. And we see things in our lives that we know are out of the corruption that comes from sin. I mean, think about this. In our lives, we have, this, we have the capability of, of rational thought and moral choice. But on the flip side of that, we have sinful thoughts and we have sinful motives on the one side we have we have this capability we have this capacity to create and love but we also as humans have this capacity to to hate and destroy and to covet and to fight like we have this dichotomy that lives in us all the time we are created in the image of god but we have been corrupted by sin there's a quote by uh, a guy named John Stott. He says this Human beings are inventors of hospitals for care of sick, universities for the acquisition of wisdom, churches for the worship of God. But we also invented torture chambers and concentration camps and nuclear arsenals. This is the paradox of humanness. We are both noble and ignoble, rational and irrational, moral and immoral, creative and destructive. We are both loving and selfish. We are both godlike and bestial. This is the dichotomy that we live in in our lives. We are created in the image of God, but we are corrupted by sin. And there's some effects of this sin in our lives. It doesn't take long to look through the book of Romans. We'll actually go there. If you want to go to Romans chapter 3 with me, we'll start there. We, just to, to really understand sin. Because I think if we're going to really understand the gospel, we're going to understand the freedom that comes from Christ. We need to understand what we are being freed from. And so go to Romans chapter 3 with me. If you're in one of our pew Bibles, uh, page 967. Romans chapter 3. And I just want to just answer this question for you. How are we corrupted by sin? Well, because of sin, I think it's pretty clear that we have rebelled against God. Sin is our rebellion against God. Romans chapter 3, verse 9 through 12. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. As it is written... There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. You understand the sentiment here. He keeps going, but you understand this sentiment that sin is is rebellion against God, that we do not do what is right. We have turned away from what God has has made for us. See, the essence of sin is ourself. 
The God-ordained order of things is really kind of God, neighbor, self. The essence of sin is kind of flipping that on its head and making it self, and then there's like a lot of like dot, 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 like it's a long way down the road, and then we kind of, God and neighbor kind of fight for second and third down there. But the essence of sin is really just making everything about ourselves. We're, we, are, we kind of rebel against God. We turn away. Uh, this, this takes root. We, we see even words. There's a lot of words in our language that start with the word self. Uh, you just see kind of the, the, the selfishness that comes with all these. We have things like self-indulgence, you know, uh, caring about ourselves first. What is it that is going to make me happy? We have things like self-righteousness, uh, uh, feeling better than other people, making me, the, me number one. And both of these, and, and really a lot of these self-words are, are really rebellion against God. It's turning away from who God is calling us to be. Rebelling is making it about us. In sin, we rebel against God. In sin, we are also separated from God. We're separated from God. Just down the page in chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Yeah, we we say that sometimes and we don't do the next one. We're going to say the next verse. And all are justified freely by the grace, by His grace, through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. Uh, We kind of skip verse 24 sometimes when we look at verse 23. But 23 is really where we see this. All have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God. We are separate from God. We are separated from Him. And really, if you go back with me to just what we talked about, God being holy and pure, we kind of have to be. Because in, in our sin, we are not holy. We are not pure. And God, in His holiness and in His absolute purity, has to be separated from us. That's just the way sin works. It's the way sin works in our lives. Sin is our rebellion against God, but sin separates us from God. I mean, think about Genesis 3. What is the immediate impact of Adam and Eve's sin? They are cast out of the garden. They can no longer be in the presence of God. Remember what happens in the garden in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. We see Adam and Eve walking with Jesus in the cool of the garden. And after the sin comes in, they're not allowed in anymore. They're not allowed in the garden anymore. They're not allowed to be in the physical presence of God anymore. Why? Because God is holy. God is pure. And now they weren't. And for God to remain holy and to remain pure, there had to be that separation there. Sin separates us from God. If you go to chapter 6 in Romans we see this last thing that not only has, have we rebelled and not only does sin separate us from God, but in sin we are dead without God. In sin we are dead without God. 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See, I love Romans because whenever he's talking about sin, he always follows up with but. And we'll talk about that in a second, but I just want to, again, just focus on the sin here. In our sin, we are dead without Christ. And in and, and really two ways. There's a physical death that happens. And this was not the goal in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. This wasn't in the picture. This wasn't in the original creation. Adam and Eve were going to be with God forever. That was the original picture of creation. There was no death. And so we have death entering the picture, both physically and spiritually. And because of this, 
I just want you to, to hear this this morning. We are unable to save ourselves. There is no amount of work that we can do. There is no amount of goodness that can be in our lives that will save us. It's just not going to happen. So, I mean, this is where the gospel comes in. Because this holy, pure, just creator God looks at us sinful humanity and he refuses to leave us here he sends his own son down to the earth to take our place here's the thing this is the this is another gospel truth this morning there's been a few gospel truths here's the this gospel truth that jesus alone is able to remove our sin and restore us with god Jesus alone. Jesus alone is able to remove our sin and restore us to God. Why is that? Well, because of who he is. Uh, We talked during Advent about Jesus' divinity and his humanity and why both of those had to be there for him to be able to be the Savior and the Lord that we needed. Because of who he was. We we need Jesus to be both 100% fully God and fully human. You mess with those percentages, you mess with the gospel. We be Jesus alone is able to save us from our sin and restore us to God, first of all, because of who he is, second of all, because of what he did. Because when Jesus came, Jesus lived the life that we could not live. You go to Hebrews chapter 4, and it talks about Jesus, who is our, our high priest in the book of Hebrews. And we don't have a high priest who is unable to, to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. We have a high priest who is tempted in every way, yet did not sin. We have a high priest who was tempted in every way, yet did not sin. Think about that. Now, there is a reason why Jesus did not just come to earth at the age of 33 or whatever and just go straight to the cross and die. Why? What is that reason? Couldn't God have done that? Absolutely, God could have done that. Jesus came to earth, was born a human, had a belly button and everything, He got mad and everything. He was hungry and everything. Grew up to be a man. Was tempted in every single way, yet did not sin. And you look at the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, gives you just a little glimpse into how Jesus reacts to temptation. Jesus goes from being baptized, immediately after he's baptized, goes into the wilderness. He's led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. And what happens? Satan comes, tempts him three times. Every single time, Jesus uses Scripture to get out. And don't get me wrong, Satan knows those verses. He knows exactly what he's doing. But Jesus comes back with Scripture to say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to give in. And because Jesus was perfect, because he lived a perfect life, he was able to stand in our place. He was able to take our place at the cross. Able to take our place in judgment. See, Jesus not only lived a life that we couldn't live, he died the death that we deserve to die. Amen. Jesus died the death that we deserve to die. I mean, 1 Peter 
chapter 2. If you want to go there with me, it's on page 1048 in our Pew Bibles. 1 Peter chapter 2 says this. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. By his wounds you have been healed. I want you to hear this again. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Now earlier we were talking about kind of the this, the payment for sin is death. Jesus did not have any sin, so why did Jesus have to die? Well, the gospel is that Jesus, even though he didn't have to die, chose to for our sin. Jesus took our place on the cross. See, sin is kind of man substituting ourselves for God as first place in our lives. Salvation is God substituting himself for man. This is the answer to our dilemma from the first part. How can God be just? How can God just declare that a sinner is innocent? How can God look at you and I as sinful human beings and say, you are perfect, you are innocent, you are not guilty? Because he took the punishment himself. This is why he can say that, because he took the punishment himself. And holy justice, God doesn't just look over sin. God poured justice over our sins. In his holy love, God does not just overlook us in our sin. He, he paid the price in our place. And it doesn't just stop there because it doesn't end with just the death of Jesus. Jesus didn't just come to, to live the life that we couldn't live and die the death that we deserve to die. Jesus conquered the enemy that we could not conquer. He conquered the enemy that we could not conquer. He doesn't just remove our sin he makes it possible for us to be restored to God. Jesus conquers death. Revelation 1.18, he says, this is Jesus speaking. He says, I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I'm alive forever and ever. This is the power of the gospel. This is where the power of the gospel comes from. This is the gospel that saves us. That God, this holy, just God, creator of all things, looks down on you and me as sinners and doesn't choose to leave us this way, chooses to send his son down to earth to take our place, to live the life that we couldn't live, die the death that we deserve to die, conquer the enemy that we could not conquer so that we might be restored to God forever and ever. This is the gospel. This is the gospel that saves us. This is the gospel that saves us. This is what Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians. So this is the gospel that saves us. Here's what he says. <clears throat> now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. But what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. This is the gospel. This is the gospel that saves us. But as we'll see over the next seven weeks, this is also the gospel that sends us. The gospel does not just save us. The gospel sends us and calls us to go. Now, there's, 
Again, there's nothing that we can do to earn this salvation. Nothing that we can do to earn the sacrifice of God, to earn the love of God. There's nothing we can do to earn our salvation. But as we are saved, we are called to go and to do. There's a quote in the video this week. I'm going to give you a little spoiler. I love this quote. Here's what he says. The fire to do comes from being soaked in the fuel of what has been done. I'm going to say that again. I want you to catch this. And if you're not in a small group, I want you to join one just because of this quote. (laughs) Here's what he says. The fire to do comes from being soaked in the fuel of what has already been done. This is the gospel that saves us, but it's also the gospel that sends us. And I'm so excited, so excited for this series. Cannot wait to keep going next week. I hope you join a small group and get involved. This is the gospel. This is the gospel that we put above everything in our lives. This is the gospel that goes before everything else in our lives. And there's a lot of other things in our lives, but this is of first importance, that Jesus died according to the scriptures, that he was buried and raised to life on the third day according to the scriptures, so that you and I might have right relationship with God and be with him forever. Amen. Let's pray. God, God, thank you so much for the grace that you show, the forgiveness that you show. God, thank you so much for this gospel. This is the gospel that saves us. This is the gospel that means so much in our lives, God. This, this week, would we just be reminded over and over and over again that this gospel needs to be of first importance for us. It goes above everything else in our lives. This gospel is what saves us. This gospel is also what sends us. This gospel is so important. God, over the next two months, we're just going to be focusing on this gospel. I pray that every single day you would remind us of this gospel, that our first waking thought would be that just to remember that this, the God of the universe looked down on us as a sinful humanity and did not choose to leave us there, but sent his own son to die for us. God, John 3.16, for you so loved us that you sent your own son for us, that whoever believes would not die, but but live eternally with you. God, this is, this is our hope. This is our prayer. This is the gospel. God, I just pray as we go forward that you would help us to live into this gospel, that this would shape our lives, that it would, it would focus us each and every day. God, we are so thankful for you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? And uh, just... A reminder, if you haven't already, take your pictures after service. But I want to pray this prayer of blessing over you as you leave. May our God, God of grace, of love, may the God who loves you enough to send his son for you go with you and ahead of you this week. May he empower you through his spirit to make a difference in your community. Go in grace and love this week. May you put the gospel above all. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thanks for coming this morning.